We're reading from 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning halfway through verse 19 to the end of the chapter. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? But he said to him, and he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go out when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks to you for your word, and we ask, God, that you lead us in the truth and grant us understanding today. Illumine our minds, for apart from you and your help, we see nothing. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In Western literature, one of the favored characters created by some of our best authors is that of the religious hypocrite. Whether it's Chaucer's Monk in the Canterbury Tales, if you're familiar with that, or perhaps Jane Austen's Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice, the religious man that you just love to hate, or whether it's Mark Twain's Widow Douglas in Huckleberry Finn, the religious character is one that we can particularly despise, especially when they simulate a life of virtue and faith and then have values and a lifestyle that's completely contradictory. It's that disparity between appearance and virtue that causes all of our disdain. But in our disdain, we also have to be careful. Careful not to overlook the value of these characters for seeing ourselves. They can be a helpful mirror, in fact. Not because we replicate their particular errors, but they do provide that mirror in which we can see and evaluate ourselves with a greater clarity. And so it is the religious hypocrite that religious people, that Christians in particular, need. And it's in the second half of 2 Kings 5 that we have one of those characters, a character from history, Elisha's servant, a man we know as Gehazi. He's a man who simulates faith, but he's driven, he's animated by other concerns, as we find throughout the course of this chapter. After Naaman's healing, Elisha sends him back to this 
to the Syrian without extract, sends Naaman back to Syria without extracting a gift from him. That would have been a customary practice in the ancient religious world. When someone had done something for you, when someone had benefited you, it would have been proper to receive a tribute. But Elisha knew that to accept Naaman's gift, which was an extravagant gift, millions of dollars of gold and silver, changes of clothing, there was wealth here untold. But he knew that that would take Naaman into trafficking in his old religious economy, the way that he had in previous days related to God. Because it's common to try to buy off a God, to cajole a God, to convince a God to do something with your own resources. But Naaman had seen something else, that salvation from the God of Israel, from the true, the living God, was a matter of humility and faith and trust and looking to God's promise. And so Elisha turns down the gift, sends Naaman away. And this is where the cha- we pick up today in the chapter in verse 20. Because Gehazi plots, and he plots inside of his own heart to run after Naaman and to get something from this Syrian. It's highlighted that this man, Naaman, was a Syrian, an outsider, a military figure. Naaman sees him coming and asks him a question, is all well? Thinking surely something has gone wrong. He has just left the presence of Elijah. And then Gehazi responds affirmatively and he says, all is well. Then he concocts a story and he says that Elisha has sent him to retrieve one talent of silver and two changes of clothing to care for two sons of the prophets who've come down from the hill country of Ephraim. Naaman, in his largesse and generosity, actually gives two talents of silver and two sets of clothing. Gehazi takes them and deposits them in his own house. And after returning, Elisha then confronts him. Ask him about his whereabouts. And Gehazi deceives him. He lies about where he's been. And so Naaman's question is all well, is more perceptive than he ever knew. Gehazi is a duplicitous man. He's a man with a divided heart. He has loyalties that run in various directions. He professes faith, but he does so for his own advantage. And so it is this question from Naaman that continues to echo down through the ages. It is the question for Gehazi, is all well? And friends, it's the question for you and it's the question for me. It's the question for all of us who struggle with the fickleness and the weakness of the human heart. Is all well? Is everything right with you? Because you see, it's a question that searches us. It's a question that provokes self-examination. It's a question that interrogates our motives. It takes us to places we frankly don't necessarily want to go. And so as we ask that question, though, this morning, as we're honest with God about what his word reveals, 
Well, consider three things about this duplicity that we see in Gehazi and this duplicity that God would also want to diagnose if it's living in us. And so these three things, we'll consider first the source of this duplicity, second, the cost of it, and finally, the outcome of it. And so let's look briefly at each of those. First, the source of this duplicity. In verse 20, Gehazi presents his plan in religious language. He uses the phrase that we've actually seen throughout these narratives in 1st and 2nd Kings, as the Lord lives. It was something like a confession of faith that was tagged on to any statement. And so he says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. And so Gehazi has the right language on his lips. He knew the language of the church, the profession of faith of Israel, but yet he has a dark motive in his heart that was not apparent to all. The motive is clearly financial gain, as the story develops, and Gehazi sought to cash in on an act of God. God had healed Naaman of his leprosy, and now he is going to take advantage of this Syrian by deceiving him and defrauding him. It's significant to note Elisha's response to Gehazi in verse 26. Follow along here. He asked him a question. Was it time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? The question seems plain enough, but it's intriguing because it actually echoes language from prior passages in the Bible. You could find these same words in 1 Samuel 8 as to the kings of Israel and how they were going to exploit Israel. And you also find the language echoed from Deuteronomy 6 in verses 10 through 12. And there the church is warned about the dangers of abundance and how when they entered into the good land of promise and God lavished on them all of these good gifts, the danger that that abundance would trigger. Consider the warning. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And friends, this is where the things of money and the things of possessions, the things of this life are so dangerous. The Old Testament church was warned and we hear the warning still because it is that abundance that can lead us to forget God. Augustine in his commentary on the book of Genesis captures this beautifully. He explains it this way. Because he wants to work to, for us to understand that, yes, God gives us good gifts inside of the physical world to enjoy. That the world itself is not wrong. That the way to hide from this is not to escape the world. And so he says, sin consists not in the things themselves, but in the unlawful use of those things. 
Now the use of things is lawful when the soul remains within the bounds of God's law and subject to the one God in in unqualified love and regulates other things that are subject to it without greed or lust. That is in accordance with God's commands. And so what Augustine is developing here is the idea that, yes, God gives us good gifts inside the creation. He lavishes them on us. And the problem is not the good gifts. The problem is that we use those gifts without reference to God's commandments. We use those, ref- those gifts according to our own desires. We refer to our own wisdom, and we take those gifts in our own directions. We forget him. We don't use the gifts within the bounds of his commandments. And so God instructs us to take care, to take good care. That is to examine our hearts and to make sure there is not a rival to him there, examining ourselves. Because covetousness can be the very source of our duplicity. Putting something ahead of God is the very source of this duplicity. And friends, this is where we have to exercise extraordinary care ourselves. Because it is all of the abundance of life that leads us to forget. This was the source of Gehazi being duplicitous. And it can be the source for us as well. And we have to have the courage and we have to have the bravery to simply ask ourselves this very simple question. Is all well? And friends, it's not a question that we can ask once and answer for one season of life. I would be so greatly and deeply relieved if that were the case for my own Christian discipleship. I would be greatly relieved if that was the case for your Christian discipleship as well. But rather, it's the question that has to reoccur. Is all well? How are we relating to the gifts of God and the abundance of God? Are those things dragging us off? Have those things gained a certain ascendancy? Are those things leading us to forget? Because, friends, Gehazi, his life was flooded with the benefits of God. He had all kinds of things around him inducing him to the love and fear of God. He was with the great prophet Elisha. He had seen the mighty acts of God. He had seen God heal this man Naaman. And yet he forgot. And we live and inhabit that same type of situation. And we face these same temptations that we can forget him. And this is the source of incredible hypocrisy. The source of duplicity in the church is that we forget because we run off after other things that we perceive as more important. And so ask yourself that question. Is it well with you? Second, we also see here in the passage the cost of duplicity. One of the most striking things as you look at Gehazi is the lengths that he goes to to hide his deceitful act. The servants bring home this massive amount of treasure, these two talents of silver and also this wardrobe. They hide it in Gehazi's house and then he sends them away. He doesn't want them to around as witnesses to the crime. And then Elisha confronts him 
ask him about his whereabouts, and of course Gehazi then lies. Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? And he answers, your servant went nowhere. And friends, this is what Gehazi's love of money and his love of possessions cost him. It cost him his integrity. He now is willing to engage in open deceit, misrepresenting the facts, lying to the pastor here, telling the prophet that he had gone nowhere. In Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And Gehazi here forsook a good name. He forsook the place of the servant. He forsook the place of being a servant of God, and he traded it in for riches. He traded it in for silver and gold. He forsook the good name. He wanted to be rich more than he wanted to be trustworthy. He wanted to protect what he loved, and to do so, he was willing to lie. And friends, this is what happens to us inevitably. When we love something more than we love God, when that thing is on the edge, when it's about to be exposed, you can guarantee the next steps and actions we will take. If it's not a humble confession and acknowledgement, it is then protection of that thing. And we will stop at nothing when we truly love that thing. We'll do anything to protect it. We'll fight to keep it hidden. We'll sacrifice everything to hold on to what is most significant to us. And friends, this is where Gehazi leads us in the way and helps us see exactly the darkness of the human heart and what we do to protect what we love. And this is what we must take a special care to guard ourselves from. But finally here, we also see the outcome of this duplicity. It's important to note that Gehazi commits fraud against an outsider of Israel. Naaman was a commander in the armies of the king of Syria. They were at constant war with him, and the Syrians had had the upper hand for a number of years. Last week we saw in 2 Kings 5 that actually this man Naaman had servants in his home who he had taken back from Israel. Naaman was a Gentile because he was a Syrian. And then we also learned that there was another element that put Naaman outside of the norm. He was also a leper. He was an outsider of the outsiders. And yet he comes to Elisha in his desperation and he comes to him for help. He comes on the rumor that this man might bring healing. And it's there in humility and in faith. He's willing to wash himself in this less than impressive river and it is in the waters of that less than impressive river because of the promise of God that Naaman finds healing and he finds salvation. And Gehazi didn't like this. When he mentions that he is a Syrian, you need to hear the critique. 
And we need to hear the anger of the elder brother from the second half of Luke chapter 15. After the father has been gracious with the younger son and restored him to the face, to his place in the family, the elder brother is furious. He's angry with how this father is behaving. And friends, it is that same type of anger that is inciting Gehazi. He didn't like that this outsider was now an insider. How could this one Naaman who was an enemy be called a friend? He didn't like it that he was getting a free lunch. How was he who had all these riches going to come and exploit the impoverished and poor Israelites who had been under the thumb of the Syrians? He wanted to benefit because he was one who had suffered. And so in the end, we see that Gehazi becomes a leper. And friends, this is God's ironic way of dealing with us. That Gehazi gets exactly what he wants. He wanted the riches of Naaman. He wanted to be an outsider. He didn't want to deal with the abundance and the gifts of God according to the commands of God. What he secretly wanted, despite his outward profession, was to have everything on his own terms. And Gehazi actually trades places with the Syrian name Naaman and becomes a leper, an outsider. His lusts were judged by his own desires. And friends, this is God's way of humbling those in the church, bringing us to our senses, helping us to see ourselves, helping us to see how all of that animosity and all of that frustration, and all of that love for the world's possessions, and all of these things that build up within us, how we desperately need to be rescued from them. Because the outcome can be horrendous. We see it here for Gehazi. And so we have to have the courage to ask ourselves the question, is all well? And not to jump to the immediate Sunday school answer. Like Gehazi, all is well. Because friends, the truth is that we all need to search ourselves. We need to know ourselves. We need to lay ourselves bare before God again and again. Because the great danger is that we forget him. Having all of his great benefits that are ours in Jesus... Raised in the church, knowing the truth, taught the standards of the Bible, knowing the benefits of the gospel, knowing all that God has done in Jesus and sending him into the world to die for us, to be raised, to make us right, to give us free access today, and knowing that he will return to make all things right, all of those great benefits. And yet in the mundaneness of life, in the tediousness of it, amidst all the sufferings and the difficulties, we can lose sight of these things. They can become dull to us and we fall in love with other things. And so friends, the key to fighting this forgetfulness, to fighting this religious duplicity is to ask ourselves these hard questions and then to ask that God, that he awaken our hearts again and again 
to the magnificence, to the beauty, to the goodness of his love that we know that is ours in Jesus. And so let's ask for his help this morning. Father, we acknowledge and we accept today that we are too much like Gehazi. We want to be able to look in disdain upon him, upon a hypocrite. But God, we know that our own hearts can be divided, that we struggle to trust you and we struggle not to transfer our trust to other things. Free us from the love of money and possessions and all else that leads us to forget you. May we see the source of these things. Give us courage to ask ourselves the question, is all well? And God, will you work within us gently and graciously, restore us and renew us? We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.